Anybody remember one thing we talked about last week? Well, that was the title. Yeah, very good, Paul. There we go. What did I tell you? God doesn't want to try to what? Drag us down. That's right. Rather, He wants us to what? What? What was that? Right over here, someone had it. Well, that's close. What? Who said that? Way to go. All right, someone. Your husband, that's right. Her man right there. He had the answer. And you didn't even give it to him, did you, Joyce? He got it all by himself. You don't know how proud a wife is when that happens. When her husband has taken notes and written it down. Man, that's touching. You get an award later. I'll think of something. I don't know. Doug, Doug, Doug will give you a free, I don't know, trip somewhere. I'll, t- I'll talk to him about that later. All right. Well, we got to get into this tonight, so let's bow our heads and pray, all right? Lord, we just want to commit this evening to You. We thank You, Lord, so much for Your encouragement. We thank You, Lord, that every one of us tonight, we have every reason to be encouraged and lifted up this night. We ask You, Lord, to touch our hearts, speak to our lives. We ask You, Lord, to help us begin to lay the groundwork and understand the rules so that we can balance our life effectively as we understand what priorities to live by. In Jesus' name, Amen. Steve, could you unplug these for me again? They're doing weird things. Thank you very much. Okay. Tonight, to the best of our ability, we'll cover two things. What God's priorities for our life is, and what is God's standard for commitment. Alright? So I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have a Bible. If not, you can probably share one with someone. On Sundays we don't open them. On Wednesday nights we use them. So feel free to bring one. Even if you're not familiar, that's okay. I want you to know some of you may not be familiar with it. That's alright. Bring one. If you don't know where Corinthians is, just ask your neighbor. What? Can you hear me? You can't hear me? Can you guys hear me? See, he's got to be a little careful because I'll interfere with Doug back there. There, can you hear me now? I don't, you know, I got to start low because I always get louder, right? That's usually what... I just, you know, we're going to get warmed up here tonight. I don't want to shock anybody, okay? <clears throat> anyway, don't ever want you to feel bad if you don't know where to turn in the Bible. We got a lot of new folks here, a lot of them that are brand new to the Christian faith and learning the Bible, so someone around or near you will be more than glad to help you figure out where to turn. When my wife and I used to go to Bible studies, I was always turning the pages for her, showing her where to go. That's what we're here for, to help each other. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The reason I'm going over this tonight is in order to have a spiritually balanced life, All right. one of the most important things we've got to understand is what are God's priorities for my life? See? We've got to know what does God expect of me? What are the guiding principles of my life? You know, Stephen Covey, some of you have heard of Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey's a Mormon, by the way. He's not a Christian, he's a Mormon. There's a difference. I'll explain that some other time. Anyway, he's got this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or something like that. And then he's got this other book called First Things First. 
Well, it's most important that a Christian understands that they must live a principle-centered life. If you don't understand what God's principles are for your life, then you'll never be able to really have balance in your life or proper balance. You'll always be askew. You'll always be a little mixed up, confused, discombobulated, you might say. So that's why the starting point tonight is what are God's priorities for my life? Alright, for our life. So, we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 14. Alright. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. First thing that I want us to see together, we're going to look at just a couple verses, say the same thing. If we're going to have a spiritually balanced life, we have to understand that our life from now on, the purpose for which Christ came was to save us from living the rest of our life for selfish reasons. The rest of our life is to be lived for God's purposes. For God. That's why He saved us. He saved us and redeemed us, the Bible tells us in Peter, from a futile way of life passed on to us from our forefathers. You look around us today, you look at the world that you and I live in. I'm doing a series right now on Wayzata called Improving Your Quality of Life Without Spending a Dime. And in October I'll be doing that same series here. If you look out at society, all around us are people who are living their lives totally in vain. It's futile. It's an empty way of life. The world system, by the world system I mean the world of materialism, the world of pleasure, the world of self-centeredness, is all empty. And that's all anyone knows apart from Christ. And it is a futile, empty, hollow way of life. Christ came to set us free from that way of life. The way He sets us free is one, when we embrace Christ, and two, when we decide to quit living for ourselves and we live to please God. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as well in verse 9. You just go back up a few verses, and it says, Paul writes here in verse 9, So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. No matter where we are, Paul says our goal is to please God. Now in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, for those of you that are not familiar with this, it says this. Jesus is commanding His disciples, and He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe whatever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. He said, Mark, why did you share that verse? Because I want to make something very clear to you. Whatever Jesus commanded the twelve apostles to do, that wasn't just for the twelve apostles to do. It was for them to command us to do the same. A lot of Christians are really mixed up about that. They think that the twelve apostles were exceptions. But I'm not an apostle. I'm not one of the original disciples. So I have an excuse for living a carnal, substandard Christian life. That's very erroneous doctrine. That's very erroneous 
theology. For it says very clearly that you, Jesus, commanded the twelve and the rest of the disciples that were with them when He gave that command to go and teach all My other disciples to do exactly what I told you to do. To live the way I told you to live. To have the same values. The same priorities. To have the same spiritual orientation. A lot of Christians today, if we're honest with one another, we take our standard of living from other Christians. We derive our... When I say standard of living, I'm not just talking economics here. I'm just talking about our commitments, our values. So we look around at the rest of evangelical Christianity and we find someone out there who fits our paradigm. Often, we're just like an unbeliever, only we're a Christian. How many times have you met an unbeliever who just says, well, you know, I'm just going to come up with my own philosophy of life. God's just going to be whoever I want Him to be. And He'll fit my own particular worldview. That's what most people in the world do. They want God to maybe be religious, or they want God to be hedonistic, or they want God to be Buddhist, or they want God to be Hindu, or they want God to be yoga, or they want God to be TM, or they want God to be... And on and on and on. They just decide how it is they're comfortable, what belief systems they're comfortable with, and then they find something to fit that, and then they call it religion. Many Christians have become no different. They come to Christ, through Jesus Christ, and putting their faith in Him, and then, the way they decide to live is based on what they feel. Based on what they decide to believe. Well, you know, I want to be one of those rich Christians. Well, so they hang out with the prosperity gospel crowd. I, I want to live by my emotions, so they hang out with the emotional crowd. And I could go on and on. I think you're getting the point of what I'm saying. And the greatest mistake that you could ever make in your life is to derive your standard of Christianity from Christians. We derive our standard of Christianity from the Word of God itself. And it ought to be all of our mindset. Lord, whatever Your Word says, I will do. Show me what does Your Word say. What did You teach the twelve? What did the twelve teach the churches? What did they write in the epistles? And Lord, then help me to conform my life to what it is Your written Word says. That's the only sure and safe bet for you to live your life. Turn to Romans chapter 14 for just a moment. Romans chapter 14. And we're going to look at verse 7. Romans 14 and verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You ever thought about that? You know, we're kind of used to the fact that slavery went out 100 years ago, or 200, or whenever exactly it went out. But I'd like you to understand something here tonight, men and women. If you read Paul's epistles, he usually starts out, Paul, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus. In fact, if you read the book of Corinthians, he says this, Though I am free from every man, I have made myself the slave 
of all men. We belong to someone now that we came to Christ. And it isn't ours. It isn't us. We don't belong to ourselves any longer. The goal of the Christian's life is to please Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is the prime directive. Now, you may be disobedient rebel, but you're wrong. You may think differently, but you're wrong. The Christian's greatest joy and greatest responsibility is to live to please the Lord. Now again, what did I tell you last week? I shared with you in 1 John. What does it say? It says, His commands are not burdensome. So in other words, being enslaved to the Lord is really freedom. It's the paradox of Christianity versus carnality. We'll look at a verse a little later. Jesus said if you live, then you've got to die. But if you don't die, you don't really live. It's one of those mystical paradoxes. We can explain it. It's really easy to understand if we have a mind and a heart to understand it. As long as you and I continue living for the things of the flesh the things of this world that are hollow and empty, you will remain hollow and empty. In fact, even though you're a Christian, you'll still be enslaved to the standards and the opinions of other people and of our society. It's only Christ. And Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if the Son shall make you free, you are free indeed. Jesus said if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Not only if you know the truth, if you live by the truth. If you live by the truth. So the first thing, just go to Ephesians. Let me show you this in Ephesians chapter 4, I think it is. Yes, Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, Ephesians 4 verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Look what he says there. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. That is the primary thing on my mind. It's living my life worthy of the one who gave himself for me. I want to live my life worthy of God. You are a new creation. You've been given the Holy Spirit. God caused you to be reborn. And if you really love Him, if it really means anything to you that He died for you, then the desire of your heart is, Lord, I want to do whatever You want me to do. I want to please You. I want You to be honored by the way that I carry on my day-to-day living. That's, that's the supreme directive. We live to please the Lord. Second thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 19. You know, I just want to comment on this for just a moment. I was with a group of men over the weekend in Washington, D.C. I was meeting with some other close friends of mine that are pastors and missionaries from around the world. One of my friends is um, preaches on college campuses all over the United States. He goes out, he's put out posters, and he goes out and he interacts and preaches to college students. You and I live in a in a very, very hurting world. 
I read an article today of a seven-year-old girl who stabbed another six-and-a-half-year-old girl in the back over Barbie dolls. She ran into the kitchen, grabbed a steak knife, and stabbed this little girl in the back. Little girl's fortunately going to be fine. She has a two-and-a-half-inch gash in her back. Three days ago, I read the story of a man driving on the highway, stopped his car, pulled his 11-year-old son out on the highway while people passed and watched and cut his head off. Every single day, our news is full of pain and brutality and hurt. And you know what the solution to all of it is? If every person in the world decided to live to please Christ. Because if they did, they'd love their neighbor as themselves. The greatest, most revolutionary message in the world is the message of Jesus Christ. You think the message of Islam? You, you ever seen how the women in Islamic countries are treated? No one wants to talk about it. You ever seen what it's like? You know, I read an article just recently. 300 people were killed in India. 300 at one time. Do you know why they were killed? Because the train guy, the train engineer, stopped his train on the tracks for a holy cow. And when he stopped his train, another train behind him on the same train rammed into the back of him because he wasn't willing to kill a cow. Because they worship cows in India. And you think paganism doesn't cost people their lives. It costs people their lives every day. Millions of people lose their life every day in the world because of paganism. Heathenism. The most revolutionary message in the world is if every man and woman were living to love their neighbors themselves. And you find that only exclusively in the Bible. Find it anywhere else it was stolen from God. If people were seeking to be completely humble and gentle, imagine what they would do to domestic violence. The husband and wife sought to be diligent to preserve unity because they want to please Christ. You know why you have domestic violence? Bottom line, because I get mad at you, you hurt my feelings, and doggone, I'm going to make you pay. And why are we that way? Because I'm selfish. The cure for selfishness is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And when a Christian decides, I am going to conform my life to the character of Jesus Christ the world would be a radically different place if every person lived like Christ. That's the goal. I hate to oversimplify it, but that's simply put, Christ and His message would revolutionize the world. That's why we desperately need to get it to our neighbors and our associates and our friends. That Christ can heal the wounds. Christ can heal the hurt. I was reading recently a story of Josh McDowell. Some of you maybe have heard of Josh McDowell. He works for Krampus Crusade for Christ. He travels all over the world, speaks to millions of people about Jesus Christ. 
He's led thousands of college students to Christ. Josh McDowell grew up in an extraordinarily dysfunctional family. His father was a severe alcoholic. Josh McDowell was never hugged by his father or ever heard the words, I love you, his entire life. His father used to beat his mother within an inch of her life and drag her through the manure behind the barn on the farm and leave her there. Josh McDowell, as he got older, when his father, being a drunken stupor, would grab him, choke him, drag him to the barn, and tie him with ropes to a post and put a noose around his neck. I don't know if I know a lot of people in this church and a lot of people from dysfunctional families. I don't know of too many where it was that tragic. You know what changed that man's life? Well, it was about 300 years of therapy. It was when he came to Jesus Christ as a young man. And a couple who loved Christ while he was going to college just made him part of their family. It was the first time he ever saw a man and woman love each other. It was the first time he ever saw a man tell his kids that he I loved them and hug them and hold them on his lap. He never experienced that his whole life. He dreamed all of his life as a kid about being part of a loving family. He found it when he came to Christ. And today is one of the most dynamic men for God in the United States. God can change any person's life. The power of love, the power of Jesus Christ, is phenomenal. And he owes it all to a couple who decided to live their life to please God. That man, that couple, and Josh McTell recently wrote a book called How to Be a Hero to Your Kids. I don't know what I have to do, brothers and sisters, somehow get it through our minds that the desperate need of our world is the message of Christ. It's the only solution for all of their problems. God coming to live in your life. So it's imperative that you and I understand if we're going to have balance in our life, we live to please Christ. We live to please Him. Now when we say please Him, I don't mean... You all know, I've told you this before in Grasping Grace, you can get the tapes. You please God because God is in you, because you embraced His Son. And God is pleased with you. It doesn't mean God gets really mad at you if you don't do everything right. The point is, is that we live in a God-honoring way. That we would desire to live in a way that would acknowledge Him and honor Him and glorify Him. The Bible tells us whatever we do in word or deed, do it all to glorify God. That it would be a good reflection on Christ. I read, I was reading on the plane the other day, bought Time magazine, it was on Colin Powell. And I have tremendous respect for Colin Powell and what's happened in his life. He's really a remarkable man. But he was telling me, he's telling, well, me, I was reading it, so he's telling me this story. I didn't want you to think I was talking to him in person or anything. But I'm reading this story about his life and he said, you know, the most powerful words my mother ever told me when I was growing up to correct me, she, you know, he grew up in the South Bronx. I think it was the South Bronx. And he said, as my mother said, Colin, you've embarrassed the family. He said, those are the harshest words I ever, they just cut me to the core. Because I love my mom and dad. And to hear them say I embarrassed them, oh, that was heavy. I trust that we won't be an embarrassment to God. 
God loves you. God's different than human parents, by the way. He loves you no matter what. And it is His love, as I told you earlier, that motivates us. It is His love that urges us on. But I trust that we would want to live our life to honor Him and make Him happy. I'd like you to turn now to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now we're going to look then at, that's priority number one, we live to please Him. We're going to look then at what are some of the things He wants us to do. Alright? There's a few, if we understand them, they give direction to our whole life. So we go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. I'm not going to start in verse 25, but Jesus here has been speaking to the disciples and to those who would desire to follow Him. Remember this about the Lord, alright? Jesus, unlike Mark, never spoke an idle word. None of His words were ever wasted. They were exactly what He was supposed to say. They were exactly what the Father told Him to say. So each word that He spoke, each concept, each sentence has tremendous weight and tremendous meaning. And so he says this to his followers in verse 33. Before you read that, I want to explain verse 25. He talks about how pagans live. Pagans are the opposite of Christians. Pagans are people who don't know Christ. He says they live for clothes, for food, for the accumulation of things. Actually, I think it's a very good description of modern-day America. They live to get. That's what they chase after. In verse 32, he says, they run after these things. But your Father knows you need them. He knows what you, what you need. Then he tells his disciples, but you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Alright, this, this is directive number one. If you're going to be a Christian who lives to please the Lord, then the primary thing that your life is about is you are seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. The word seek means <clears throat> to go about, to endeavor, to endeavor in the king's business, to go about the king's business. Now, but what is the king's business? The king's business is to build his church. You say, Mark, I thought it was evangelism. Well, it is. They're the same thing. Let me explain how they're the same thing. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus said, I have sheep who are not of this fold. In other words, there are Gentiles out there. Jesus was speaking to Jews at the time. There are Gentiles. There are multitudes of people out there who don't know me yet. They need you to go to them because then they'll be part of the church and my kingdom will grow. That's how God's kingdom grows. It grows numerically. It grows as people are added to it. And people are added to it as you and I go about our day-to-day -day life with a passion to live in a God-honoring way so that the world stands up and notices and they wonder about us and we take the opportunity to boldly share with them the life-changing message of Christ that has transformed our lives. That's what it's about. 
That's what it's about. And that's what the disciples, if you read the book of Acts, if you read the rest of the New Testament, guess what you discover? You discover a company of men and women from all over the world after the day of Pentecost who went everywhere, the Bible says, uses this word, gossiping the gospel of Jesus Christ in every village in their businesses. Do you know that the early church in Jerusalem numbered eventually to about 60,000 and that 80% of them were slaves. About 80% of the early church were the property of other people. Of all different races. And we think sometimes to ourselves, you're busy. What do you think it would be like to be owned by someone else? 80% of the church. But this was the church, you see, that had a new identity. For in the book of Galatians, it tells us that there is neither barbarian, slave, Scythian, Greek, male or female, but all are one in Christ. We are a new community of men and women. God is not a respecter of persons, whether we're rich or poor, black or white, red or yellow. We're a family together. Every one of us, as valuable as the next, and we are on a team. We are part of a body. We are on a mission together to share with others the life-changing message of Christ. Now, what do you think it would be like if you owned a slave and you'd been mean to that slave and that slave's been coming to church and Peter's been preaching and Peter says, Slaves, obey your masters. And especially if they're harsh to you, for this finds favor with the Lord. What do you think? What kind of a radical message is this, Peter? First of all, I shouldn't have to be a slave. Christ set me free. Slavery is wrong. Yes, it's wrong. But what a radical message. What was Peter trying to get across? This was trying to get across, right? It's more important that while you were a slave, you helped that person. Come to know Christ so they don't spend the rest of eternity in hell. Because look, you and I are only going to be alive another 30, 40 years anyway, and we're going to be free forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And for all of us in this room who are free today, none of us here are actually owned by another. Well, I've got news for you in just a moment. You are owned by another. You are owned by another. And I want you to go, just, just keep your finger here, to 1 Corinthians 6. Let me show you this, alright? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to start with verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God you, I've underlined this word. I've underlined these words for 20 years of my life. They are burned in my brain. Mark, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You're not your own. You're not your own. I've heard people say, oh, you know, the way to adultery-proof your marriage is wives... Give him everything he needs. 
Husbands, give them everything they need. That's crap. I mean, you know, that may help. But you know the most... You want to you affair-proof your marriage? You better just remember who owns you. Just remember who owns you. And it isn't the person you married. And it isn't you. It's God. Honor Him with your body. To commit immorality dishonors Him. That's why it says in verse 18, flee immorality. You're the temple of God. God lives in you. He didn't, you know your little children ask, Mommy, where does God live? He lives in me. Where does God live? He lives in you if you know Him. And you're His temple. This isn't His temple. This is just bricks. This is just a building and it's going to be destroyed. God lives in you. He owns you. He has every right to you for two reasons. He made you, number one. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. And secondly, He remade you when you came to Christ. He gave His blood for you. He took hell for you. He took everything for you. Now God's, you know, He's not going to beat you up. I mean, it's, it's, it's to your own benefit to live this way. Ain't going to be no skin off God's back, you know, other than there may be people who decide God's not worthy of much respect because of the way you live. And God loves those people. The only one who's really hurt when we don't live according to these principles is us. God gave them to us for our benefit. For our benefit. Now you go back to Matthew chapter 6. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Alright? So we seek first God's kingdom. We seek to advance His kingdom through the gospel and we seek to build His kingdom. That's brothers and sisters here. We seek to serve one another, love one another, encourage one another, accept one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, share with one another when you're in need. I could go on and on with the one another commands in the Bible. We're to love the lost and we're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And secondly, we're to seek after His righteousness. What does it mean? It means to be like God. It means to go after in your life the pursuit of God-like qualities, of character, of spiritual values. Or pursue the things that are valuable spiritually. Not the things that are of earthly value. Let me show you a verse in verse 19 of chapter 6. This is a very powerful verse. Now, now, many of you are not going to be able to come to terms with this verse tonight. But I'm going to introduce you to it. And I want you to think about it. You think about what this means. Because this is a direct command. When the Bible says, do not be immoral, that's what it means, right? Don't sleep with somebody unless you're married to them. When God says, don't kill, He means don't kill, right? Don't murder someone. When He says, don't lie, He means don't lie. When he says don't covet your neighbor's wife, he means don't covet your neighbor's wife. So what do you think he means when he says do not store up for yourself treasure on earth? Oh gee, wow, that's a nice suggestion. I mean, you know, I, maybe I won't kill anybody today, but tomorrow might be a different story. I won't, I won't lay up any money today, but, but you know, next year might be different. I want you to wrestle with it. You're going to have to wrestle with this. You really need to wrestle with this. 
Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You want to guard your heart? Just be careful what you treasure. Just be careful what you value. Just be careful where you're laying up your treasure. In America, that's very hard to do. I'm going to be very honest with you. It's very, very challenging to live a radical Christian life in the United States of America. And for that reason, there have been many times I've thought about leaving it. We are, you know, you know what we're like? We're like the town of, what's a town? Not even Brainerd. I mean, we're like the town of, what's a dinky, dinky town in the state? Where? Herman? Oh, thank you very much. We are like Herman compared to the population of the rest of the world. I don't know if you realize that. Half the world lives in China and India. Half the world. We're only 220 million people. I told you this before. I'll tell you this again. Every one of us in this room live better than 95% of the rest of the world already. If you never achieved anything else, if you never got a better house or nicer furniture, you and I live better than 95% of the rest of humanity. And yet we want more. We want more. We want more. You must wrestle with this verse, especially if you live in the United States of America. And we do. We do. Or your life's going to be screwed up. I'll tell you something. Many of the reasons our lives are out of balance is because they are filled with pursuits that God told us not to pursue. And we barely have time to live our Christian life. And that's the problem. That's why I'm centering on these principles first. See, I, I, don't, I want you to know this. I don't worry about spiritual balance in my life. Haven't for 20 years. Haven't for 20 years. Not as a dad. I got four kids. I don't worry about spiritual balance at all. You know why? Look at this verse 22, chapter 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, it's very simple. For the last 20 years, I've lived a very focused life. There's been no question for the last 20 years of my life why I'm living, why I have a family, what I'm doing with my children. It doesn't bother me one bit that my children don't know how to play baseball. I grew up loving baseball. My kids don't know how to play baseball. My kids really don't know how to play basketball. I mean, we go shoot hoops, they don't know how to play. You know why? Now, now I'm going to say some very strong things here. But I told you the last week, you know, when I introduced this, I'm going to give you some opinions. This is opinion. I want you to go ponder this, though. I didn't have four children so they could learn Bach and they could play all the music they want and so they could have all the different sport experiences they want and so they could raise every kind of animal they want. I don't live for my kids, people. I do not live for my kids. 
Jesus said, whoever will be my disciple must hate his father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, children, yes, even his own life, or he cannot be my follower. My children fit in with the program that my wife and I determined we would live for God. And that's the way it is. And the only reason they do one sport is not to learn sports. But we sought to pick a sport that would teach them the disciplines and the values that we were already trying to instill them at home. Otherwise, we wouldn't do a sport at all. You think I have time to one one child over here for ballet and one child over here for piano lessons and one child over here for soccer and one child over here for this, that, and the other thing? you got another thing coming. I am very radically crazy nutcase serious when I talk about living out the priorities of God. And especially you families. You really need to weigh these things out in the Word of God. Or else, guess what? I'm going to share a little thought with you. You won't be living for God at all. You will be living for the pleasure of your kids. And they will run you into the ground. Now those of you that know me, you can go up to any one of my kids in the hall and ask them, are you happy? You already know what they'll answer you. Most of you, my kids, they're always smiling. In fact, they get teased for smiling so much. So we're going to have an unhappy life. I'm not cheating my kids at any way, shape, or form. In fact, I'm giving them the best life they could possibly have. What I'm telling you, to cheat them would be to live by this world's standards. And I refuse. I refuse. I refused 20 years ago. I revolted. I rebelled. And I will not raise my family by the world's standards. I don't care what the in-laws say. I don't care what my own mother says. When I was a kid, you know, you think about this, I've looked back on society. Man, I, for a lot of my, I, I grew out in the, I, I lived in the country. I lived in a town of 50 people. We didn't have one billion gazillion things to do. If you had a loving family and you got to ride your bike, that was great. I cannot believe you, you just need to ponder life sometimes, folks. It, we, we, we forget how cluttered our lives have become. You look around, man, and moms and dads, I'm going to tell you something. My heart breaks for many of you. You are worn out, stressed out, bugged out, whacked out. And it's all because you're not living based on your priorities as a Christian. You're living to please your kid. And they've got you wrapped around your little finger. Now I want you to know, many of you, you're good intention. And I'm not telling you. I want you to know something. If you have your child in piano or then ballet or whatever, that's your decision. Please don't go away here and say, I've got to do exactly what Mark does. You don't. I'm just trying to get you shook up a little bit. And to think for yourself instead of going along with the status quo. Or else one day, you're going to look back in your life. And you're going to be just like me because I'm telling you right now, most of you in this room, your kids are much younger than mine. Many of you are just starting your families. Your kids are going to be 20. And you're going to go, well, did I raise a little disciple for Jesus Christ? Am I child in love with the Lord? See, we, th we think we're faithful to God with our kid if they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't have sex. 
Well, they didn't rob any banks. God, they did a good job. I'm sorry. I hate to break the news to you. But they are a stewardship, a gift to God, from God to us. And God wants us to raise them to love Him. To follow Him. To live out these biblical standards. So please, listen. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. You know, if, if you got a problem, call me on the phone. Feel free to yell at me. It's okay. Just call me, yell at me. I just want you to think. Folks, I want you to think about what these things really mean. Because I had an old friend. He used to tell me this. He said, Mark, you know, the greatest time of temptation is not when you're single in your life. And it's not when you're married. It's when you're married and you have kids. And I looked at him and I said, why is that? Because I thought I was being really tempted as a single. It was really hard. He said, because now you can be tempted to buy everything. I'll tell you right now. now again, don't take this wrong. I kind of mean this sort of as a joke. I'm sure glad there wasn't gap kids when my kids were little. I mean, those, kids, those clothes are adorable. You know, and if your kids wear gap, I, I got gap jeans, see? So, I'm, so I, my kids wear some gap clothes. I want you to know that. I'm just saying. It's just, once you have kids, the sky's the limit. It's like, oh, they got to have one of those electric cars. Oh, they got to have one of those portable basketball bulbs. Oh, we got to have that. Oh, they got to have that. Oh, 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 oh. And, and you think I'm mistaken. You wait till you're married and you have kids. And you start to feel the world squeezing in on you like people are you know, starting to ask me, well, Mark, when's Celeste getting her license? I don't know. I can't afford an extra $1,600 a year for insurance. I'm sorry. So she may have to wait till she's 18. Oh, you're a terrible dad. I don't know. We love each other. You know, we care about each other. So I'm going to go get another job so I can afford extra insurance. Do you follow what I'm saying? This is why so many of us, we're strangled for time. We're strangled for money. Our kids need more than anything else. A mom and dad that love the Lord Jesus and that love them. And they give them their, your time. Your time and your love and your affection and your encouragement. Please don't take anything I said wrong. I, I'm really, I didn't mean to offend you by what I said. I'm just trying to get you to think. All right? I'm trying to get you to think about how you really live your life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, you know what it says? It says, No soldier in active duty entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now, you are a soldier. If you know Jesus Christ, you're a soldier, male or female. It's the beauty about the Lord we're all in combat. Male or female. We're on the front lines. Now I want to tell you something, ladies. I hate to break the news to you, but the devil will rake you over the coals, rape and pillage and ravage your life. He's no respecter of you being a female. We are in a struggle. We are in a battle together. The thing you need to remember as a soldier is you don't have time to be entangled in the affairs that everybody else does. We stay focused. We stay in the war. Because the minute you stop to have a little party with your buddies, you know, Viet Cong sneak up on you and blow your heads off. Now, again, you please come back for this whole series, okay, because I'm going to talk about balance, see? It's okay to ride a bike. It's okay to have a bike. It's okay to go water skiing. 
There is freedom to enjoy things in life. Okay, I'll get to that. Right now, I'm just trying to lay the groundwork, see? So you understand, because if you don't have this, you never will get the balance. You'll water ski too much. You'll fish too much. You'll be in too many softball leagues. Man, I know people that, they play, they play, I can't believe how much they play softball. They're like Michael Bolton. They sing and play softball, you know? I just, all the time, that's their life. And we got more important things to do with their life. You're a special instrument of God. Alright, so we need to really weigh out these things in our life. Alright, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Let's lay this other heavy one on you here, alright? This is a good one. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What does that mean? We must realign our values and our thoughts from earthly things to spiritual things. We must reorientate our whole way of thinking. When we came to Christ, maybe many of us were 30 years old. We spent 30 years, the world system, brainwashing us, telling us what to do. We need to love this. We need to do that. This is what our life's to be about. Now Christ saved us. He's changed our life. And He wants us to put our mind on things above, on eternal things, that we live for eternity. I seek to ask myself every day of my life, am I living for eternity today? Is what I'm doing today going to count for eternity? Am I going about my job when I was working in the secular marketplace? Am I making eternal decisions? Am I a man of integrity today? Do I have a smile on my face? Am I a good representation of the Savior? Am I working hard? I want the Lord to look good on me today. Those would be the questions. I would stimulate myself. Listen, people, I want you to know something. You think, you know, Mark's a hard guy. He says hard things. You know who Mark's the hardest on? He's the hardest on himself. I ask myself a lot deeper soul-searching questions than you ever hear me publicly say. I get myself alone and I rake Mark over the coals with challenges as I pray, as I work over my own heart. My heart can grow so callous and hard and I refuse to let my flesh dominate me. But it's a struggle. And I'm just throwing out to you little brain teasers, things to stir you up a little bit, to shake you up and go, whoa, why am I living? What am I doing? Am I being a mommy today for God? Is my mother making a difference for eternity? Or am I just going about it, I just can't wait till the kids are sort of out of my hair so I can do my little crocheting. So I can do my little house project. So I can get that room painted. See? Selfishness can enter in there, right? And selfishness is the opposite of living for eternity. Whenever we're selfish, we just lost our reward. It doesn't count for eternity. Dads, we can be the same thing. When we come home, are we, are we ready to be servants to our wives? Are we ready to be servants to our children? If we're not, we're seeking our interest. And at that moment, it might last for an hour, it might last all night. We're not living for eternity. It's all very practical. It gets right down how we live our everyday lives. Secondly, we need to understand that the mind set on things above is where real freedom is. 
That's where real freedom is. When we get our mind controlled and dominated by truth. By God's Word. And then, of course, I don't know if you knew this, but when your mind's straight, the body follows. The body goes. That's why I read the verse. It says, if your eye is clear, whenever your eye is focused, your body follows where the eye looks. Unless something's really wrong with your nervous system. And I, and I mean, sometimes there's that case. But, but otherwise, if your eye's looking this way and you're walking, you know, then you, know, you see where you're going. You stay focused. All right, just got a couple more thoughts. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, I, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holy living sacrifice, which is your reasonable spiritual service of love. God wants your body. In view of what He's done for you, it's the least that we could do for Him. It's to give our life back to God. It's the happiest life you could ever imagine. I made that decision 20 years ago, and I've not looked back. Lord, I'm yours. Do whatever you want in my life. You want to take me home early? You take me home early. But to the best of my ability, Lord, I'm going to live the rest of my life for you. I'm going to raise my family for you. I want to lead others to you. Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Almost done. This is the last verse, and then I just want to read you something here at the end. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says this. Then he called the crowds to him along with his disciples. Now imagine telling this to the crowds. He's not just telling this to his inner circle. He's calling the crowds and he says to them this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You want real life? You want to keep your life? You want to lay your life up for eternity? Then you have to lose it. You have to give up your agenda for life. Twenty years ago, I wanted to be uh, a mountain man. Uh, a hermit. I mean, I really did. It's hard to imagine that being a, an ambition, but it was my ambition. When you see those people living in Alaska, up outside of Anchorage, or those people who live up in Idaho in those cabins, you know, or in Montana, away from the IRS people and all that. that. That is what I want to do with my life. I want to live it for me. I don't want to have anything to do with the rest of the human race other than maybe a female. I don't want to necessarily do this alone. And that's how I wanted to live. Off the land, not worrying about any money, etc., etc., etc. Twenty years ago, I gave up Mark's agenda for life. And, and I mean it. I really, really wanted to do this. I dreamed about it every day. I saw Jeremiah Johnson seven times. <laughs> I had all the Foxfire books. All the books how to gut your own pig and build your own cabin and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I really, really wanted to do that. And God told me, 20 years of Mark, I want you to love the human race. It's the exact opposite of what I wanted to do with my life. I was sick of the human race. I graduated from high school absolutely sick of people. God said, I want you to live for people. That's my agenda, Mark. I love the world. For God so loved the world that He gave. And if you love God, you'll give your life for the world. It's the only way you show God you love Him. We must 
The word deny means abstain. And by the grace of God, I, I can't say that I haven't fought. I've been selfish in the last 20 years. My goodness, I was selfish yesterday. I was probably selfish today at some time, I'm sure. In fact, I was. Had an argument with my wife because I was selfish. But as an overall life plan, I've abstained from what I wanted for the last 20 years. And I will continue till I go to the grave. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the Lord. That's God's agenda for our life. Now I want to read you something I wrote. Okay? As Christians, we have a different standard of living than the world. They value money. We value righteousness. They value self. We value others. They live to get. We live to give. They seek personal glory. We seek glory for God. They lay up treasures on earth. We lay up treasures in heaven. They live for now. We live for eternity. They are slaves of money and possessions. We are slaves of God. They live to please themselves. We live to please God. They use their time to serve themselves. We use our time to serve God. They advance their own agendas. We advance Christ's agendas. <clears throat> there are four things that last forever. God, His Word, people, and the things you do for eternity. Those are the only things that are going to last. Whatever God says in His Word, God Himself will live forever. People, they will either spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And the decisions that you make in your life to do right, you will have eternal reward. Make sure, people, that you're living for the things that last. If you have any questions about what I said, I really mean this, give me a call. I may say things forcefully from the stage, but I'm a little puppy on the phone. Just give me a call and we can talk it over if there's any misunderstanding. All right? Especially some of the things I said about the parenting issues. I'm going to get into that just a little more as we go on. But I really want you to think about these things. Read over them and just remember this. I didn't write these things. This is God. He wrote this. And you go and you wrestle with these things and ask God, God, do you really mean this? Should I really take this seriously? There's an awful lot at stake as to what you decide to do. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for these brothers and sisters, for all of them here tonight. Lord, I bless you for it. This is the biggest crowd I've ever had at a Wednesday night new community meeting. And I thank you, Lord, for their hearts and their desire to serve you. Lord, I, I'm just trying somehow to, to wake us up. That's all to challenge us, to motivate us, to help us see what's really important and what really isn't. I realize it may involve radical changes in our life, but I love them, Lord, too much to keep it a secret. I ask you, God, that you'd speak to us throughout this week from your word on these particular issues. In Jesus' name, amen.